tuning in to the Bully Pew podcast. This podcast is brought to you, of course, by the troublemakers at Protestia. Protestia Protestia.com, the place to go for all the latest in Christian polemics and discernment news from all over the internet. And we bring you stories about um, evangelical um, elites and evangelical interlopers and those that claim to be among us but are not. And the doctrines and teachings that demonstrate that to be the case, it is the place to go for discerning Christians. And we are delighted that you are with me right now on this drive through sunny and clear-skied Denver, which is a nice change because for the last few days it has been pouring rain like it is like like I was in Seattle, Colorado or something like that. So this is it. It is a welcome uh, change to see the sun yet again, which is that's that's normal in Colorado. Sun is much more normal around this area than than rain and sort of dreary skies and things. Um, but anyway, you can support Protestia. You can support the the work that we are doing here um, because, as some of you know, uh, this is not a full time job for anybody that that. Um, writes or produces or does research or works at Protestia and yet it needs it needs funding to support all of the uh, things that are being done and we we very much appreciate our first and foremost our patron supporters who for only 5.95 a month support this ministry you can join them by going over to uh, patreon.com forward slash Protestia and see the different levels of support I have been admittedly um, a little slow in slacking off with some of the the patron uh, gifts and things for quite a while. We were sending books and things like that um, to um, patron supporters at a certain level, uh, books that we felt were important. Uh, once a month we would send books, and I haven't done that in quite a while. And I have yet to hear a single complaint. So all, all I can um, um, figure from that is that our patron supporters are not in it for the stuff, but are in it for the work of this ministry and the importance of discernment, which is so desperately needed right now, especially as the information age seems to distort and twist our reality um, more so as the days go on. On this this drive and this episode of the Bully Pew podcast, we're going to be discussing um, my off-the-cuff and maybe hot take, if you want to call it that, thoughts on Russell Moore, who just released a book entitled Losing Our Religion, uh, and apparently it looked like it was number one on in the theology category on Amazon last time I checked, and I, I'm sad to say that I uh, paid to get a digital copy of that book, and I have read uh, through quite quite a bit of it, certainly enough to understand what it really is. Um, but uh, that's part of the reason that you support Protestia, because um, we take those arrows for you. We read the Russell Moore books and, and the Karen Swallow Pryor books and all of the, you know, these other kinds of things that um, you would be wise not to spend your money on, but instead... Um, you know, check in with us and see what it's all about. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll generally tell you that for free, what these things are about, and that, that way you don't have to go do that research yourself. Um, speaking of research, we also curate articles, um, what we call banned news links. They're not technically banned, but they are news links that the news media does not seem to want you to see information that we think is important to be a, an educated and informed conservative Christian. And you can sign up for those three days a week for free, 
in your inbox from by signing up for the insurgency email list. That link is on, and that sign up window is on the homepage at protestia.com. Um, you can also sign up for a paid version, which gets you the insurgency news blast six times a week. It's basically like it's basically like for those of you that are, I guess, maybe my age or older that remember the Drudge Report, which is still online. Drudge Report uh, is still online. Um, it's gone kind of weirdly liberal, I guess, in the last few years. But it's basically a site where it was just links to other news, you know, curated news links and things that um, um, that they wanted you to know about. But because everybody went there for curation, um, the Drudge Report became influential. Whatever news news um, articles they wanted to highlight or put on the top of the website, all of a sudden became the thing everybody was talking about, even though they very rarely wrote any of their own content. Now, of course, we write plenty of content at Protestia, and that also becomes part of the Insurgency News Blast. But there's also a whole bunch of, there'll be a whole bunch of articles and information from all over the internet and, you know, trusted uh, media sites and things telling you things that you, well, you won't hear if you're watching mainstream media, if you're watching your local news or CNN or MSNBC or even Fox News. Um, we'd like you to be more informed than that. So that's that's over. I realize I'm chasing a rabbit there, but that's over at protestia.com, the Insurgency News Blast. You can sign up for it uh, today and stay in touch with us that way as well. Um, anyway, back to this Russell Moore book. So there's, there's a class of, I guess um, I would describe them as uh, dissidents in a way. I wrote an article about this a year ago. Um, entire, it was something like evangelical elites make their case to the world for what's wrong with you. Um, there was a David Brooks article in the New York Times talking about e- evangelical quote-unquote dissidents. And by dissidents, they were talking about those who are were supposedly, I mean, by the world standards probably still are, but supposedly conservative evangelicals who are now pushing back against the conservative evangelical propensity to, you know, I don't know, support Christian and conservative values in politics, um, you know, the propensity to vote for Donald Trump, because at the very least, at the very least, he was a better option than Joe Biden and a better option than Hillary Clinton. And, well, they, they, they just couldn't stand that because for a long time, these evangelical elites have been, well, they, they've been um, what we might call interlopers, where they, they, they're they're subversives. They look like us and they sort of talk like us. And they, you know, to quote Russell Moore in his book, actually, um, and, and I guess a leader he was talking to, they give, you know, 90, 90% of what they say seems solid. 90% of what they say seems like it is, it's exactly what we want to hear. The quote unquote red meat as it were. And then 10% of what they, 10% of what they say or they do are basically pushing a different agenda. And that's, that's, that describes Russell Moore, that describes, um, you know, Karen Swallow Pryor, who just recently left Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. She's in the same camp. She was on his silly Russell Moore show podcast um, recently. Um, guys like David French, who's, you know, um, published articles in the New York Times and The Atlantic. And the, these, these uh, quote-unquote evangelicals, these quote-unquote conservative Christians, they are the, they're the pet conservative Christians for the, the godless liberal elite, the, the secular media, the, the progressive um, dominant culture that um, are enemies of Christ. Well, they, they have, they have their, their court evangelicals. They have their, their, their people that they will give platforms to and 
publish their articles and and listen to them supposedly, but really all it is is they, they want these characters to be able to say this is what um, mature and responsible evangelical Christians think about this. And of course, they, they really don't speak for anybody. I mean, at least in, in terms of actual, you know, pew-sitting conservative Christians. Um, but but they're platformed by the secular elite media as if they as if they represent uh, at least if not what conservative Christianity is in some ways what it should be and the vast majority of their their publishing their podcasting their speaking and all that consists of lecturing evangelical Christianity lecturing um, conservative Christians on why they're wrong about what they're doing or believing or supporting or whatnot, basically parroting what um, what the lost world thinks that Christianity should be. But of course, I, ironically, the lost world, and especially the politically engaged and politically active lost world, would be would be happy if the Church of Jesus Christ just disappeared. So, it's that these guys represent a a you know lesser of two evils option if you want to call it that for um for the lost god-hating secular culture where they say hey you know hey the church the church is probably not going to go away despite despite the fact these guys are always talking about the church being on the edge of of disappearing they're always characterizing things that way um the lost world is looking at us and saying and saying, well, the church probably isn't going to disappear and go away. People are still going to have their silly religion. And people are still going to, you know, their silly superstitions and their silly belief in God and all of this. That's going to stay. But at the very least, perhaps it can be an, an inoffensive, ineffective um, sort of just practice that people do off on their own in the corner that really doesn't affect the cultural culture around it. It can be basically, it can basically be neutered, you know, and whether that means that, that religious practice, Christian practice especially, is driven into, into the private sphere and really has no influence in the culture at all, or whether it is, it's in the culture, but it's actually, like, it's just a, it's just Christianity in name only, where it's a Jesus-flavored or, um, you know, Jesus-branded version of whatever we want to do anyway. You know, they're, they're, that's the lesser of two evils option for the godless world and uh, people like Russell Moore and these uh, what David Brooks had called evangelical dissidents um, these groups these group this group of evangelical influencers that are basically on the outs with any evangelical that actually knows what's going on um, for, for those who are informed especially for readers and listeners uh, websites like Protestia and other discernment ministries and and solid ministers out there, we know who these guys are at this point. They've been marked, right? They've been marked and avoided in terms of their influence within actual conservative circles. And yet um, they have, you know, purportedly, apparently some influence, but they certainly have an audience among either disaffected, you know, quote unquote Christians, the deconstructionist crowd, or the liberal elites who aren't Christians anyway, um, they have, you know, the, the people that read The Atlantic, for instance, they have that crowd, I guess. But basically, they act as the pet evangelicals uh, for the godless world, for the world that wants no part of the church, doesn't want any part of Jesus Christ. Um, these, and so, to the extent that they have any influence, I, I would contend a lot of their influence is... Um, 
it's not real. It's illusory. The influence of people like Russell Moore and David French, these kind of, like, they, their influence basically consists of irritating actual Christians, irritating actual conservative Christians, and, um, and basically their own platforms among the ivory tower liberal elite, the vast majority of which, if not the entirety of, hates God and hates his word and hates the truth. That's their audience. And so, I mean, you will always find, and this is consistent. In fact, before I started recording this, I saw a, a notification pop up on my phone for a David French tweet. And it was something about a David, another David Brooks article, I guess, apparently. And, and it's like, okay, these, these guys never change. It's the same characters, the same, the same playbook, the same strategy all the time. And it's basically use... Uh, Use the use Christiany terms, use religious-ish um, imagery and and ideology to get Christians off the playing field, off the off the cultural battlefield. So that the more Christians that they can get to basically disconnect their faith, disconnect their unapologetic belief in the truth of God's word, and then the practice that would follow from that, the obedient um, ad the obedient advocacy for God's righteousness in the culture, the more of those people we can get off the playing field and, and the more of those people that can disconnect what they believe from what they practice, the better. And so this is why we see, we see strategies like playing the gospel card. We've talked about this before where it's anything that, um, that one of these evangelical subversives doesn't want you to do or doesn't want you to say or doesn't want you to 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 uh, pay any attention to at all they simply put it up next to the gospel and they say uh, well the gospel is prime the gospel is the most important thing that we can be saying or preaching and whatever you're doing fill in the blank is not that therefore it's an idol therefore it's something you can't do therefore it's something that I'm going to now judge you for um, this happens all the time and it's just it's it's Obviously, it's a juvenile uh, application of logic. It's a, it's a, when you actually step back and look at it, it's embarrassing. But it's, it sounds pious. It sounds Christiany. It sounds like oh, these guys, these guys are the real Christians, the ones that are just that, that are just uh, all about the gospel and nothing else. It's it, of course not realizing that the gospel, the the gospel prime in terms of the the good news of. Uh, Jesus Christ's uh, life, death, uh, burial, and resurrection, and um, the payment made for for our sins for those that place their faith, hope, and trust in Him, is the is the gospel. I I, I always like to um, stylize it the capital G gospel. I like to put capitals on it because that's the the um, the real good news. Um, but all of these other things are they're biblical and they flow from that. The word the word of God. Um, and the, the revealed, uh, the revelation about him in scripture is a unified, coherent, synergistic, if you want to say it this way, message. Um, it, it, it all works together. We don't, we don't carve it up and say, well, this is the gospel over here. And so long as you believe, so long as you believe in this part over here, that's really all that we ever need to be concerned about. The, the Bible has a lot of other instructions for Christian living. Um, 
the great commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, are the real commandments. And these are the, the these and, and what we believe, where we place our faith, are the primary fruits of the Spirit um, that we look to to um, to indicate our faith, indicate our regeneration. You know, we would say that good works don't save us, obviously. We're not justified by our works at, at all. It's 100% an act of God, our salvation. But salvation does produce these things. Regeneration does produce repentance and um, sanctification and growth and understanding and obedience. Um, you know, there, there's we have to understand this. And so when, when somebody in the name of Christ comes along and says, Hey, I, you know, you're being obedient here. You, you rightfully, uh, have, you figured out that, um, killing the unborn in the womb is a sin and a sin, uh, the sin of murder. And it's, it's a sin for everybody involved in it, including the, the mother who makes the decision of her own volition to do this. That's also a sin. And, God's justice and scripture um, demand that we hold people accountable for those kinds of sins. Um, if some someone in the name of Christ comes along and says, hey, you know, that's not the gospel, you know, you be, you, you being pro-life or you being an, ab- an abortion abolitionist, well, that's not the gospel. And so if, you, if you're spending time on that instead of the gospel, well, you're making an idol out of it. That's, you know, that, that is an abuse. And I, I, I mean, I, I use that term accurately, I think, in this context, an abuse of the truth, an abuse of uh, the, the logical faculties that God has given you to figure these things out. And they are, they're deceiving you. It's a lie. It's a deception. Um, that's what's going on. I mean, you, you think about the, the stupidity of the gospel card logic. I mean... It, you could apply that logic, like if I'm sitting there eating a sandwich or something, <laughs> like you know, eating lunch. You could you could use the same logic to come up to me and say, "Hey, is that gospel? Is is that sandwich the gospel? Is that sandwich is, is that sandwich important to the gospel?" And I would say, "Well, no, but I'm, I'm just feeding myself." Well, you're making an idol out of that sandwich. If you'd put that sandwich down and and go tell somebody about Jesus, that's that that would be the right that would be the righteous thing to do. That's that, I mean that's what these guys do. They they apply it across the board. Um, Russell Moore's book does this really with um, individualism, uh, where he he basically rips um, near the beginning of the book the idea of the altar call, and I'm you know I, I I'm pretty critical of altar calls because I think that it's emotional manipulation to get a decision um, out of somebody or or a uh, professed decision. But because I believe that God is the one who saves and regenerates, and he is the first, he he regenerates before we have faith. He regenerates before we're able to understand um, the truth. Uh, It's basically regeneration precedes faith, because I believe that the altar call um, is is not convincing to me as um, a, a... you know, and not that I'm saying that people can't be saved and, and then respond to an altar call. That can happen for sure. But there's also a lot of uh, false salvations, false belief, emotional manipulation where somebody makes a decision, supposedly, that is not actually a decision sourced from their regeneration, but instead just, you know, being manipulated. But but he rips it, you know, Russell Moore criticizes the altar call from a different angle and says that, the altar call is some sort of a, some sort of a, um, a manifestation of individualism, and 
like like market driven Christianity brought us the altar call, and he uses it to and 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 rightly criticize. There's a lot of problems with market driven Christianity, but he draws that to. Um, you know, because there's now a market for the church, because the church is market driven. Well, now truth is market driven as well, and he lumps he lumps it in with individualism, and with what he calls uh, you know the marketplace for truth, where it's like, hey, whoever can convince you that something is true is going to win the day, and uses that to decry like you know Donald Trump, and you know, well he's loose and fast with the fast and loose with the truth, and and um, there are a lot of charlatans in Christianity, and he lumps all that stuff together. Which I don't think is, I don't think that's a um, uh, an accurate or fair comparison. But then he he basically spends the book sort of soft recounting um, his exit from the Southern Baptist Convention and how, and of course he plays the victim the entire book and all these people you know they they harmed me and uh, they left me and um, they didn't appreciate my rightly placed concern about social justice and 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 racial issues and me too and abuse and all this kind of stuff and and well they did that because they're all they're all bad men and now I'm having like trauma from from Southern Baptist life um, he talks about uh, still having if I remember this correctly, I remember I'm like driving in the car, so I don't have the book. You know, I'm not reading the book while I'm driving. But he talks about something like his, like stress-induced tinnitus or something from all of this, and and still having nightmares about the SBC and and whatnot. Um, and and basically categorizes it like the Southern Baptist Convention. And by the way, he go, he goes back and forth between the SBC and evangelicalism as a whole, um, like they're the same thing, which is you know is a little confusing, but quite frankly, it's confusing to try to figure out exactly what he's saying because he keeps referring to people and situations and institutions without referring to them by name. And that's why, I mean, I think the book is more like it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's closer to a, you know, some sort of an autobiographical thing that's, that's, you know, the attention is pointed to him. It's like the, the, the Russell Moore begins to deconstruct story. And it really does read like a manifesto in some ways for stage one of deconstructionism, where, where you start to uh, you know, question everything. Everything you've ever been told is now up for grabs. You know, the, the deconstructionist starts by first challenging the underlying, um, the underlying assumptions um, behind everything that they've ever known religiously. And there's certainly a lot of those elements in Russell Moore's book. Now, because he's the editor-in-chief uh, at Christianity Today, he's an institutionalist. He's got institutional... Uh, um, he's, he's got something to lose, in other words. So he, he can't be like the random Twitter deconstructionist that just starts to you know, spout off to get attention on social media and reveal that they have no cogent theology anymore. And they, that their belief, their belief structure is sort of up for grabs, and and you know, waving to and fro with their emotions. He can't do that, um, but but he can do what most of these guys do, which is more like a subversive deconstruction. So they don't overtly say I'm challenging the core tenets of the Christian faith. They they um, they claim the core tenets of the Christian faith, while. Um, you know, redoing the words or redoing the, um, 
the framework or redoing the conclusions to basically undermine some of these core tenets. That's the, the subversive uh, deconstruction that allows them to um, give a pass in some ways and give tacit support to actual deconstructionists, overt deconstructionists, while at the same time maintaining their institutional positions. That's, that's the point, is you, you want to, and, and the funny thing is they, they claim this about conservatives, especially more populist, you know, MAGA-type conservatism all the time. This, I, they, they claim that there are dog whistles that go out there where like, hey, you know, I know he didn't overtly say something racist, but the way he, he said it is just he's signaling to the actual racist that he's one of them, <laughs> right? They claim this all the time. That's a similar thing to what we're seeing Russell Moore do with this with this book. Is like, it's it's a wink and a nod to um, really anti-Christian deconstructionism without actually overtly saying it. So like, Russell Moore would be website orthodox in the sense that he would he would ascend to the core tenets of the Christian faith, the the plumb line components of the gospel. He would he would all agree with, and then basically proceed to reorder everything that comes after it which, logically speaking, undermines the, the core tenets of the faith themselves. Um, and that's, that's kind of what this book is. Like, I, I wouldn't say that he's going to actually um, decon... Like, I think, I think it's much more likely that Karen Swallow Pryor comes out as, as an, an unbeliever at some point. I don't know. She has a lot less uh, institutional... institutional um, she, she has a lot less to lose institutionally because, I mean, she basically left Southeastern or they kicked her out. I'm not sure which. I mean, you know, we, we all saw the statement um, a few months ago earlier this year where it was like, well, we've sort of agreed that we have different ideas about the Great Commission, and so we've agreed to part ways. You know, but, but that could have just as easily been uh, the leadership at Southeastern saying, hey, you know what, you're... You, you've gone over, like, you, you didn't keep your liberalism uh, veiled enough, and now we're taking heat from it constantly. Um, so you really need to, you know, we're going to have to let you go, but if you're willing to, um, you know, uh, resign with grace or resign, you know, amicably, at least publicly speaking, that would be better for everybody, including you. And she agreed to it. That's probably more likely what happened, um, that they were probably going to let her go anyway. And this is a way for everybody to sort of save face. I mean, this happens all the time, right, in, in, in institutions that, that are public-facing. Um, but, you know, she's not currently in any sort of institutional position within evangelical Christianity. So, you know, she's free to now. And, and if she really is intent on, you know, blogging and writing and doing all these things, she will have to find an audience for that. And the conservative Christian audience is largely... Uh, aware of a lot of uh, what she's done and, and, and a lot of what she's promoted and, and her things, and so I, I don't think she 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 can't reliably go back there. Her audience will be the same audience as, as Russell Moore, um, either the the soon to be deconstructed quote unquote Christians, or the the godless um, uh, worldly culture, um, institutional uh, elites in culture. And I mean, people that read the New York Times, and the Atlantic, and, and they um, they really want no part of Christianity, but they realize that it's a reality of their culture, and so they have to wrestle with it. But again, they're the the best hope that they have is a toothless 
Christianity that has no effect on the world around it. You know that 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 will end up being her audience. Um, it is the Russell Moore audience, the David French audience. But yeah, I mean Ru- Russell Moore's book sounds. I mean, it, it comes across. It, I mean, because it names so few names, and it's thrown out a lot, a lot of ad hominem and a lot of um, generalizations, and a lot of this guy said this. Well, who's that guy? Well, I don't want to say. It's just that, you know you have to take my word for it. It reads very autobiographical and very um, whiny. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Um, not much of a surprise. It it's not going to convince anybody of anything. So, like, if you were already um, convinced that evangelical churches and the Southern Baptist Convention were a bunch of uh, Trump-loving, wife-beating, patriarchal, uh, spiritual abusers, this book will reinforce that. And if you think, like I do, that Russell Moore has been a subversive uh, for a long time, and he's not actually a Christian... um, because that's the evidence that we've seen. Again, I mean, we've been over this before. It's not like I can say, oh yeah, he's definitely not a Christian. I don't know. I, I can't judge his heart. All I can, all we can do is look at what we, what we see and what's proclaimed, and then make make a judgment, biblically speaking. And our our judgment on that doesn't actually affect anything. Right? It doesn't actually change anything. It's not like well, because I've because I look at scripture and I look at what he says. And proclaims, and I, I determine that I don't believe him to be a Christian. That doesn't make him not a Christian any more than me looking at him and saying, um, I believe, I, I look at what he proclaims and does and all that, and I, I believe he is a Christian. That doesn't make him a Christian either, right? That, that you know, and yet we can, I think we can make determinations and we're free to, um, to proclaim those determinations and defend them, of course. And, and we have, at length, um, defended why I would come to a conclusion like Russell Moore isn't a Christian. Um, voluminous evidence that has been put together over the years. And, I mean, his, his new book um, just, I mean, it doubles down on a lot of that, unsurprisingly. Um, but, yeah, it, it will not, conv- if you are of the belief that I am that he's not one of us and he's... Um, a subversive and that his influence, God willing, should should be less and less and less within the body of Christ, this book isn't going to change your mind on that either. It's, it's almost like he wrote the book to convince himself or wrote the book as a, you know, as a, uh, an emotional release, <laughs> as, um, as, a, as an exercise in, in, in uh, catharsis. Where, where it's just, I'm going to write this book to make myself feel better about all the stuff that's happened and really, um, you know, remind everybody that's on my team that, that I do believe in, in um, all the stuff that, that I did and said and, and promoted and all that over the years that I was in the SBC and in the time that I left. I mean, let's, let's not forget that Russell Moore, um, he leaked you know, was responsible, I believe, for the leaking of a supposedly private letter that was going to Greer and other SBC leadership about all of this abuse stuff right right as he left the convention. So somehow, right as he's about to leave the convention, this letter that supposedly was private and all of this um, finds its way onto the internet and in the hands of, like, everybody. And in the letter, the, the, the letter read like... Um, kind of like his book, 
very self-serving, very self-focused, very non-specifically condemning of people and and institutions and things uh, in the SBC. Um, Supposedly, I mean, the funny thing is he admitted in that letter or he said in that letter, like, I wouldn't say admitted because I don't know if I can trust any any of it is true. But he said in the letter, basically, that um, that he knew about, like, abuse stuff that was going on in the convention for a long time. So he kind of condemned himself a little bit as well um, by the same standard um, that he's judging everybody else. But we, we can't forget, I mean, th- this is Russell Moore that had, by his own admission now, And it's in the book. By his own admission, he had motivations and things he was trying to push in the Southern Baptist Convention um, that other people in the convention were were kind of trying to talk him away from. You know, when he he talks about um, the way to stay uh, kosher, for lack of a better word, in the SBC is to give the base, the 90% of what you say is red meat for the base, you know, or like, you know, those of us in the pews, which apparently a lot of institutionalists see as simpletons and rubes and, and, you know, we're, we're, we're the ones who stupidly voted for Trump, I guess, you know, that's, that's how they see us. Um, 90% of what you do or say is supposed to be for those kind of people. And then 10% is you pushing your own agenda. And Russell Moore's own agenda was much more progressive in terms of policy, um, highly concerned about racial reconciliation and things, which, you know, again, we've talked about it before, but the, all the, the pushes for that in church institutions that came after the Michael Brown incident, which we, of course, soon thereafter found out to be totally, the narrative to be totally fraudulent. There was no hands up, don't shoot. Right. And then, of course, later in 2020 with George Floyd, where that became about race, even though there was no evidence when it happened that it was about race. Um, That was never actually something that was demonstrated. You know, even if we were to 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 say, hey, it was demonstrated that um, he was abused by the police and it was police, you know, uh, brutality and all these kind of things. The, the idea that it was race-based was inserted. It was inserted after the fact. It was inserted by context and by, by those that wanted to, to use it for their own agenda. But there's no actual evidence that was ever presented at trial that said that this was done, that, that what happened to George Floyd was um, in any way a result of his race. Prove me wrong on that. <laughs> it's... it's um, but the, all, all of that, I mean, that became that became part of the um, agenda, the overt agenda of evangelical elites like Russell Moore, um, institutionally uh, influential people like him. Um, it became about that, and which was a very progressive, uh, liberal policy. And he decries in his book, like, I don't know why the, the, the rest of the SBC and the institutionalists and all that would, would not be on board with that. Like, there was something wrong with saying that the, the gospel doesn't see skin color. That um, there is a race of Adam and there's a race of Christ. Um, and that's, that's what we should be primarily concerned about. That these other, these other issues, while they, they, they may be real in some sense as far as how they affect the culture around us, they're not the focus of the gospel. And instead, all these these liberal pet issues, racial reconciliation, uh, feminism, egalitarianism, um, you know, 
uh, immigration, you know, um, and, and the way the Bible is, and scripture has been abused to, um, basically ignore or excuse away the scourge of illegal immigration in this country. All those liberal pet issues became gospel issues. And they became, hey, if, you, if you're concerned about the gospel, then you must also be concerned about this, that, and the other. And and they just became sort of a, in, in the same way that these people would accuse conservatives of saying, hey, um, you can't say that because, uh, because the gospel um, is real and the Bible is real, that um, being an abortion abolitionist is, is a gospel issue. Or um, you know, having government policies that don't steal from one group to give to another is a is a gospel issue. You you can't say that. You're making an idol out of politics. Um, if you decide that your conservative views on you know that, that your um, beliefs as a Christian uh, would lead you to conservative uh, political views, you can't say that because that's idolizing politics. And instead, here's our pet issue. Here's here's our pet. Um, um, liberal issues that we want to push as uh as political ones they, they just replace the the what they accuse conservatives of with their own push and and i mean russell moore hasn't changed um as far as that goes uh anyway i have reached my destination i appreciate uh, those of you that hung out for the the bulk of this conversation i hope it was helpful and hope it framed things in a in a way that uh you can safely avoid reading russell moore's book let's let's put it that way um, there's nothing. There's nothing particularly new in there if you know uh, what he has been doing the last few years, and and if you don't, you can go to protesting and read it for free. Um, and just search Russell Moore, you'll find um, all all there is to uh, you know to to know. Not all there is to know, but a lot that there is to know about this guy. Um, you'll be able to find that at protestia.com. Thank you for listening to the Bully Pew Podcast. Um, stay tuned to this podcast and read Protestia for all your latest in discernment and polemics news. I'll talk to you again real soon. Have a good rest of your day. As always, Semper Reformanda.